This is Viewpoint with Attorney and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Is God a he or a she or an it? And does two plus two really equal five? And why is it that a pastor of a mega church? now refuses to teach to mostly white churches. He says it's casting pearls before swine. And can you imagine the problems of a California prison transferring trans convicts based on chosen color, male convicts into female prisons? Is there any rationale or reason associated with any of these statements? I don't think so. But today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about each one of them. And we're going to talk about how truth is failing us because we are failing to embrace truth. Truth is failing us because we're failing to embrace truth, even when it stares us in the face. But also today on Viewpoint, we're going to be taking a look at two particularly interesting health advisories. These health advisories are so amazing, you can call them the KK of health and wellness. You're not going to want to miss that part of the program here today on Viewpoint. That is based on truth. It's based on facts and not just feelings. But feelings are definitely involved. But we're going to wait to get to that until we've covered some of these other more absurd issues. Oh, but they are issues. They are issues that are becoming more and more transparently ridiculous in our culture, not only in America, but throughout the Western world. A pro-LGBTQ lady preacher has misgendered God... And she says she will only quote women, and God isn't male. So she apparently has decided that God isn't male, He therefore he must be female because she's willing to quote him. But then she also understands that the Bible refers to him as male, so has to make an excuse for how she can quote God in the Bible if indeed she refuses to quote males, but must quote God. Now, if this doesn't uh, cause you to have a bit of consternation in your own mind and heart as to how people can arrive at these thoughts, uh, I'm not surprised, because, in fact, this kind of thing is happening over and over and over again. It is, I believe, the fallout of a reprobate mind. The Apostle Paul talked about a reprobate mind there in Romans chapter 1. He talked about a whole pattern of people falling away from their conviction uh, that there is a God, their fear of God, their glorifying God, and then shifting from the glorifying of God to the glorifying of uh, the creature rather than than the Creator, and then 
finding that because of this pattern of refusing to glorify God, even when they know God and they know about God and they hold the truth of God dishonestly. So because of this, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. Now, a reprobate mind is not a normal mind. A reprobate mind is not a mind that is capable of true rational thinking based upon truth. A reprobate mind is a mind that wants what it thinks it wants and doesn't give a rip about truth, doesn't give a rip really about reality. It's all about what the reprobate mind has decided must be the best course for a particular moment in time, no matter how untrue, no matter how absurd, no matter how ridiculous it may look or seem. So, Carmen Ham, a restaurant owner in Canada, was invited to speak at Connect Church YXE in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where she says that despite the fact that she will only quote women, Jesus gets a pass because God is not gendered. Now, the fact that God is not gendered, uh, we might say, okay, uh, God doesn't be uh, beget children. God doesn't beget children physically. Because there's no female, if God is a male, there's no female for him to procreate with. Therefore, uh, he really is not gendered, and he is, what should we say, an it. And yet God is not defined as an it in the Bible. He actually is defined as a person. In fact, the Holy Spirit is defined as a person, and Jesus is defined as a person, and it is, as Christian thinking uh, and doctrine goes, three persons in one. Now, at first, that may seem a little strange until you look at ice and water and steam. They are three, all H2O, all H2O, but they're different forms, different functions of the same H2O or water. One a liquid, one a gas, and one a solid. In a similar way, and all analogies break down somewhere, but in a similar way, God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A father is male. By definition, a father is male. A mother is female. By definition. Unless, of course, you have a reprobate mind that has decided that those historical understandings and definitions, even as portrayed in the Bible, really are not true, are not real. Because now we have another way of thinking. It's not necessarily based on facts, not based on truth, not even based on science, but based upon a whole new, dare we say, woke understanding of reality. This is interesting coming from the progressive pro-LGBTQ community as they tend to believe that people can be whatever gender they choose. Apparently, the one exception to this rule is God himself, who has revealed himself as masculine repeatedly throughout the scriptures. 
he, 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 he. He, over and over, probably thousands of times. It's hard to get away from it, isn't it? Hard to get away from it. So I'm welcoming you to Viewpoint here today on Viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny, and uh, there are no neutral viewpoints. Your viewpoint on any issue is not neutral. All viewpoints have consequences. Some have smaller consequences than others. Some have larger. Some have actually unbelievable consequences. And we talk about all of those viewpoints here on this program. We're just about to hit the 26th year. We've been on the air five days a week live confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective as we prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Today is no exception. I hope you'll stay with us, friends. We have some mind-bending things to talk about. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. We begin today with the mind-bending issues, uh, troubling issues, things that are haunting us in our country today, and they have implications and applications that are even much broader than the narrow illustrations or circumstances in which these are being presented. And we don't have time to go into all of those uh, ramifications, permutations, combinations, and so on, We'll probably hit a few of them. But here is a pro-LGBTQ lady preacher. And she says she will not quote men, only quote women. Now, why would that be? Well, apparently, she hates men. Apparently, she despises men and calls it patriarchy. The word patriarchy is a legitimate word, but it's also used as a pejorative. A famous actress several years ago appeared, I think it was, on one of the uh, award shows, and uh, she gave a speech, and she said, down with patriarchy, down with patriarchy. In other words, down with fatherhood, down with grandfathers, down with great-grandfathers, down with fathers, down with uh, anything that relates to men advancing into their God-given role, down with patriarchy. Now, the flip side of that means up with matriarchy, down with patriarchy, up with matriarchy, which is the feminist revolution going back into the 1970s. So this lady teacher says, I'm going to throw in the F word. Now, bear in mind, she's in front of the congregation, and so she's saying, while we're covering patriarchy, I'm going to throw in the F word. All right, so what is the F word? The F word in this regard is feminism. 
She said, you've been warned. We're going to cover empathy with a touch on racism, homophobia. We're going to talk about parenting, she says. Well, how are we going to talk about parenting if we're down with fathers and down with grandfathers? You see the absurdity of this line of reasoning. The absurdity of this line of reasoning is that men are irrelevant. They're unneedful. In fact, they're nothing but trouble and a problem. The only thing that men are needed for historically is procreation. And now the hyper-feminists and LGBTQ folk are deciding that they don't need men because they can, well, have a man's sperm transferred and infused into their womb so that they can have a child without a man. The problem is they're taking the sperm from a man, so actually they are affirming patriarchy. The the sheer foolishness of their thinking is almost beyond comprehension. So the woman goes on to say, I'm going to use a lot of quotes, and all these quotes are from women. We're going to hear from women from all over the world, from poets and mothers and one very famous country singer. The one exception to this all-woman rule is when I use quotes from the Bible, she said. But most of the quotes from the Bible are actually from Jesus, who was fully human and fully God. And then she goes on to say, and personally, I don't believe that God is gendered, so I would say Jesus gets a pass. Jesus gets a pass even though it is clear in the Bible that he is male. And you remember Herod gave the orders that all the little boy babies, the little boy babies, the little men in the making, two years of age and younger, were to be exterminated so as to avoid the possibility of getting a new king of the Jews. It is well known that Jesus was a male. So why does she play this game? But for her, it's not a game because she already has a reprobate mind. She is already bought into, as a lot of people would say, the Kool-Aid of wokeness that actually redefines your ability to think. It's a dangerous thing to give yourself over to that kind of thinking. Once you begin to do that, you will be absolutely taken in, seduced by the rest of the belief system until ultimately you have become God. And essentially, that's what this woman is saying. I will determine whether God is gendered. I will determine whether patriarchy is to be honored and respected. Yet the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. Father, that's male, and mother, that's female. And the father comes first. Honor your father and your mother, that you may live long on the earth, which the Lord God gives to you. So the Bible is replete with the understanding that God created male and female. In fact, right there in Genesis chapter 1, he created male and female, male and female created he them. Doesn't get clearer than that. 
and he created the male first, Adam. And then we don't know how long it was after he created Adam that he said, Adam needs a helpmate. So he put Adam to sleep, gave him the first treatment of anesthesia, and (laughs) took a rib from him and created a woe man, a woman, to be a helpmate. So the whole thrust of the Bible from the beginning of the book to the end of the book is that God gave the man responsibility over the family and the society and even the church. That doesn't mean that women were to be demeaned. God gave them a special role. Without the woman, there are no children. Somebody has to take care of the home. Somebody has to uh, come alongside and uh, assist in doing the will of God that he has ordained to be at least initiated through the man in the household. You may not like that. You may resist it. But if you do, you better check your attitude because you've already set your attitude against the God of the Bible. And it's a dangerous thing to set your attitude in favor of the culture and against Christ. A very dangerous thing. And ultimately, it will lead you to embrace someone called the Antichrist. You know, against Christ differing from Christ, pretending to be like Christ, but differing in substantial ways that makes the people think it's more acceptable, more desirable, somebody to be more easily marketed to the master, to the masses. It's called the Antichrist. And that's why I wrote the book, Antichrist. How to identify the coming imposter. And if you don't have that book, you really, really, really need to get it. We've been on over 30 national radio and television programs over the past, uh, say, six months. And almost every single talk show host has said, wow, never could a book have have come out more timely. And with every day and week that passes, it's even more timely. Because we're moving inexorably toward the blessed hope of the church, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ, But before that happens, before that happens, there's going to be a great falling away. The Apostle Paul tells us about that in Thessalonians. There's going to be a great falling away. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter uh, chapter 24, a great falling away. Because the hearts of many will wax cold because of the exceeding wickedness of the time. And that great falling away will happen before the son of perdition, the Antichrist, is revealed. That means Christians are going to be on the planet then. You're not going to be out of here then. Now, sometime thereafter, God is going to get you out of here because he has not appointed you, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, to his wrath. That is God's wrath. But God never said that you were not appointed to the wrath of man. In fact, Jesus said, 
If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do you think you should be treated any differently than your Lord? So we covered a lot of things here in the first uh, 20 minutes of the program. And now we move to another issue going right to the heart of the church again. This headline really caught my attention. Willow Creek pastor refuses to teach to mostly white churches. He said it's casting pearls before swine. Wow. Does that not sound like racism incarnate? A mega church pastor pledged he will no longer preach or teach at churches that aren't sufficiently multi-ethnic. Because it would be like casting your pearls before swine. So in other words, this pastor believes that white people or people that aren't sufficiently dark according to his standard are swine, not worthy to receive the message. But I thought God desired that all, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Ed Ollie Jr. made these divisive comments during a dialogue on Black History Month with fellow staffer Sean Williams. Both men are pastors at Willow Creek Community Church, which is a a multi-campus, 20,000-member church founded by Bill Hybels. Now, here's what you need to know, and we've talked about this before here on Viewpoint. Willow Creek pioneered the church growth and seeker-sensitive movement. Gearing everything about a church service to be as comfortable and friendly to non-believing seekers as possible. But interestingly, in 2007, a major study was released that was commissioned by the church itself that found that the church was failing catastrophically at producing mature followers of Christ. In other words, they were failing at the very thing that Jesus said to do, and that is discipleship, teaching people to obey everything that he had commanded. Now it seems that they're repeating the pattern. Ed Ollie told his fellow staffer, Williams, I think Willow Creek is this really unique and weird place in that we are aspiring to something that is extremely difficult, and it's fraught with all kinds of misunderstanding and pain. Because even in this room as we sit, we have Asian, African-American, white. When you start to look at that and you start to look at the reality of what the kingdom really looks like and we're trying to bring it on earth as it is in heaven, you will come against all kinds of challenges in doing so. So I think it's important to know the environment that you're in and then be true to who you are and bring all of who you are into the circles that you come into. So, he said, there are some places I don't go and preach and communicate. Why? because they don't have values that are important to me and my family. So now it's all about him. It's not really about the kingdom of God. It's about him. Apparently, he's black. Uh, That's the best I can conclude from this. But until you, as a pastor or church, take steps to be more honorable to the scriptures, I don't have to come into your environment and give my pearls in the midst of the reality of swine. I don't need to do that, and I won't do that. So let's suppose that this pastor goes into a predominantly black church. And by the way, the majority of churches in which blacks 
fellowship across the country are almost all black. And I've spoken in many of them. I didn't hesitate to speak there. In fact, some of the best response I've ever had came in preaching in a black church. A lot of people say, well, you know, you got a little brother in you, they say. Well, regardless, how about this pastor preaching in an all-black church? Now, are all, are they all swine because they're not mixed uh, uh, ethnically? You can see the problem. This man is extremely confused. He's honoring blackness and multiculturalism over the Christ of culture. It's a form of idolatry, and it's crept in subtly in order to be seeker sensitive. Really? There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. In the first three segments of our program here today on Viewpoint, we're getting a peek at what a reprobate mind looks like or the trajectory, the pattern by which you end up with a reprobate mind. Now, I'm going to say something here that I hope you will not forget. It's simple, but maybe simply profound. And that is, if you or anyone sets up a particular goal or agenda and you make it your primary purpose, if you take a secondary goal or agenda and you make it your primary purpose, you will necessarily compromise. You will. There's just no way around it. You will compromise. I could sit here for an hour and give you illustration after illustration and illustration across the country and over the past 50 years how professing Christians and their pastors have given themselves over to what they thought was well-meaning secondary purposes, agendas, which gradually became their primary purpose. And when they did that, They compromised. And once the compromising begins, it continues. And the mind and the heart become set in a false set of thinking. There are no boundaries then other than somehow 
promising and promoting and advancing the cause of the secondary agenda that you have made the primary purpose. Let me give you an illustration. One of the greatest, largest charity organizations in the world is called World Vision. Interestingly, going back into my earlier years, my college years, a dear friend of mine, his father, was Dr. Bob Pierce's right-hand man. Dr. Bob Pierce was the founder of World Vision. So I know a little bit about World Vision. I also know of friends, other friends, who served on the board of World Missions. Now, what happened? The initial motivation was good. Help people, particularly in the Orient, children who were orphans. You could adopt an orphan and, uh, you know, commit to $15, $20 a month or whatever. And it was a, like a, a, a virtue, virtuous adoption of that child. They would send you pictures of it and so on. Very nice, very, very nice and uh, a good thing. However, as that grew, more and more time and attention was taken by Dr. Bob Pierce to advance the cause of this particular ministry. Well, interestingly, over the course of time, that particular ministry and his agenda seemed to begin to overtake the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God began to gradually take short shrift in the face of accomplishing the pragmatic purpose of meeting the needs of these children and whatever other things that World Vision got themselves into. Now, ultimately, about six, seven years ago, all of this came to a head when it was discovered that World Vision had brought on to its board practicing homosexuals, those who were embracing ideas and commitments that were radically contrary to the Bible. Now, why did they do that? Because there's a lot of money in the homosexual community, friends. Everybody knows it. That's why cities want to become woke with homosexuality and announce themselves as gay-friendly cities. Why do they do that? Money. That's why. And World Vision did that. They brought such persons on their board of a Christian ministry when these people weren't even Christians. And they did it for pragmatic purposes. When that was discovered, an uprising went out across America. They had betrayed their founding. They had betrayed their ostensible purpose. And they had compromised in ways that were blasphemous. 
that is just one illustration. And the purpose is not to put down world world vision. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to help us to understand how we can gradually be moved off the straight and narrow path and ultimately not only be deceived, but deceive ourselves. We become co-participants in the deception of ourselves as Christians. Many a pastor has been caught up in this kind of thing. Pastors wanting to become more woke today. They want, like Willow Creek, they want to re, they want to be seeker sensitive. So they're more sensitive to the seeker than they are to the savior. And so they compromise the message of the savior in order to reach the seeker. And now they've lost the seeker and the savior has lost out as well. That's what's happening. And it's leading to a great falling away across the country and around the world. Now we move from there to a different venue. You remember the famous book, 1984. I remember reading it when I was in high school. George Orwell's famous novel about a nightmarish future society. And uh, only after being tortured by those that in power that were insisting that two plus two makes four, does the man finally come around to agreeing that, of course, two plus two makes five? And America, right now, has become Orwell's 1984. Consider, in New York City, the math education professor Lori Rubel claims the whole notion that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is one that, quote, reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. As the Brooklyn College professor explained in a tweet to her followers, she said, the idea that math or data is culturally neutral or in any way objective is a myth, along with the, of course, math is neutral because 2 plus 2 equals 4 trope, are the related and creepy math is pure and protect math. She said, this reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. I'd rather think on nurturing people and protecting the planet. Now, can you see the the utter foolishness of this? The absurdity of it. It's Marxist madness. It's seeped into public education all over, from high school down to preschool. And in Oregon, for example, the state's education department is promoting, quote, a pathway to math equity that's intended to train teachers how to dismantle racism in mathematics instruction. They say, we see white supremacy culture showing up in mathematics classrooms, even as we carry out our professional responsibilities. They say it demands that educators take responsibility for visualizing the toxic characteristics of white supremacy culture with respect to math. The main toxic characteristics, they say, being the old-fashioned focus on getting the right answer. 
Really? I thought that's what math was all about. Let me ask you a question. And I, I propose this to two of my older grandsons who are uh, currently engaged in engineering programs at college. And talk to them about this particular issue. Said, now, as an engineer in the making, what would you think of an engineer who said, well, you know, I understand that we're supposed to we're supposed to believe that two plus two equals four, but in reality, it makes some people feel uncomfortable, and uh, some of of my uh, friends who are not of the same race as I uh, just kind of have a hard time embracing the absolute nature of math. So I said, what would you say then if you decided with your engineering firm that you were going to go with feelings about numbers rather than what the numbers actually said in constructing a bridge? What would you what would you say? Would you say, no, let's go with the actual numbers? Or would you say, no, let's go with our feelings and and how somebody is uh, choosing to look at those numbers, and maybe maybe it will hurt their feelings if we go with the absolute number instead of uh, trying to give them credit for having tried. The answer doesn't even need an answer. The answer is obvious. You want the right answer because there is only one right answer. to a given mathematical equation or problem. So you can begin to see this now is translating into the English department. The English department is saying, no, we're not going to teach English anymore, critical grammar. No, uh, we're going to be more inclusive and allow people to spell words the way they want to spell them, use the kind of language they want to use. We're going to decolonize the writing center to make it more linguistically diverse. Really? Is this reprobation? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. According to George Orwell in 1984, when the ruling party insists there's no objective reality, the underlying message is that the entire universe exists only in human beings' minds. 
which the party controls, and therefore the party controls the universe. So if this power-obsessed insanity sounds uncomfortably familiar, well, it's because the denial of objective reality, which those in power confers the delusion that they can control not just people's minds, but reality itself, like God's. Very much the political, psychological, and spiritual identity of today's Democratic Party, whether you like it or not. This is one of the reasons why more and more leaders are leaving the Democratic Party because they see it has completely gone off the rails in terms of reason, rationality, and has become absurdity. And it's spreading all over the land like a pandemic. Today, the Democratic Party, while claiming to be the party of science, operates in stupefying denial of basic biology. It holds that there are dozens of different genders. But then relative truth can accommodate an infinite number of new genders, right? Today's Democrats believe men can menstruate, get pregnant, have babies, and chest feed their little ones. And on the other hand, babies aren't actually human until the moment they're born, when they suddenly magically transform into precious children. One minute, they're just bio-waste, unwanted tumor-like tissue, and discarded. But only if the mother and doctor so decide. So let that sink in. Whether it is the precious thing in the universe, a newborn human baby created in the image of God, or just an unwanted and disposable mass of organic matter has no objective reality. The answer is to be found in the minds of the godlike beings wielding power over it. Just as two plus two can equal four or five, or if you would prefer, maybe six. Either way, it's okay. It's your personal truth. And that's how a man can one day decide that he's now a woman. It's all in his mind, and now they're being ushered into California prisons, women's prisons, by order of the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. How do you think the women in those prisons are feeling about now? The men who are wanting to get in there pretending to be women... Oh, they're pant-breathing. We don't need to say more, do we? So let's shift for a moment. Let's, let's look at reality for a moment. A reality that is positive, promotes health, and value in our society, and encourages our minds and our hearts and builds us with good emotions and so on, well, here it is. We're going to look at two unusual health benefits. The first of kindness. And you're going to have to wait to hear about the second one. You might be surprised. And we'll get there. Six science-backed health benefits of kindness. It's like a ripple effect. How one action can spread results. So, one of the most positive ways to use the ripple effect is to disperse a drop of kindness into your world. And by spreading kindness, 
you can create a profound effect not only on the emotional well-being of yourself and your loved ones, but also on their physical well-being, according to scientists. So let's take a look at what some of these are. Six ways being kind can enhance your well-being and those around you. First, being kind releases feel-good hormones. It boosts your serotonin levels, which increase feelings of satisfaction and well-being. It also releases oxytocin, the love hormone. According to Cedars-Sinai, it is the hormone that helps us form social bonds and is released when we are physically intimate. And oxycontin also lowers blood pressure and can support the cardiovascular system. Second, kindness increases lifespan. According to an author and researcher, people who volunteer tend to experience fewer aches and pain. Giving help to others protects over our health twice as much as aspirin protects against heart disease. Wow. People who are 55 and older who volunteer for two or more organizations have an impressive 44% lower likelihood of dying earlier. This is a stronger effect than exercising four times a week or going to church. Wow. And if the kindness effervates from your relationship with the Lord, then going to church is going to change too because you're going to go with a whole different mind and heart set. Kindness creates more energy. A sociologist, a senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, says that half the participants in one study reported they felt stronger, more energetic after helping others. Others reported feeling calmer and less depressed. You want to deal with depression? This takes us back to the words from, I think it was Paul Turnier or Eric Fromm, who said, happiness is a door opening outward, not inward. In other words, when we show kindness to others, something happens to us. Whereas if we're demanding that others show kindness to us and think that everything should be coming our way, we become more depressed. Being kind lowers anxiety. A University of British Columbia study on happiness found that a group of highly anxious people who performed at least six acts of kindnesses every week for a month showed significant improvement in positive moods, relationship satisfaction, social avoidance over the four weeks of the study. I get it. Kindness prevents illness. Inflammation in the body is responsible for all kinds of diseases. We know that. According to a study of adults aged 57 to 85, they found that volunteering manifested the strongest association with lower levels of inflammation that causes a lot of pain and joint problems and so on. And finally, uh, kindness is contagious. The positive effects of kindness are experienced in the brain of everyone who witnesses the act. And that, in turn, improves the mood, making them significantly more likely to pay it forward. Now, isn't it interesting that the Bible says, be kind and affection one to another. Be kind and affection one to another. This should be the fruit coming from the root 
of your conversion to Christ. If kindness is not being manifested regularly in and through your life, you better take a COVID test. <laughs> you better take a test to evaluate whether or not you really are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because it changes everything. And love covers a multitude of sins. And finally, I know you've been waiting for this one. Kissing. Kissing boosts your immune system and health. So husbands and wives, I want you to be listening because the facts now are showing that husbands and wives are kissing less. They're less intimate. They're kissing less. And there's a problem associated with it. So, are you ready for this? While kissing makes you feel good emotionally, it also has amazing physiological benefits that can boost your immune system and keep you healthy in many other ways. According to the documentation, your saliva is full of materials that ward off bacteria, viruses, and fungi. Fungi. These substances are your own body's naturally occurring bacteria and are responsible for your immune responses. Swapping saliva, which happens in kissing, can boost your immunity by exposing you to new germs. Now, besides fighting infections, kissing helps control your autoimmune response to things like common allergies. A Japanese study revealed that people who had allergies to dust mites or pollen showed a significant reduction in allergic response after kissing for 30 minutes freely with their lover or spouse alone in a closed room while listening to soft music. Wow! Kissing can lead to better oral hygiene. The saliva produced while kissing can get rid of harmful bacteria in your mouth that are attached to your teeth. While it's not time to throw away the toothbrush, experts say that kissing can be a valuable adjunct to your flossing routine. And smooching also boosts your happy hormones. Kissing triggers a release of chemicals in your brain that leaves your feeling euphoric. And the chemicals, including oxycotton, dopamine, and serotonin, that also encourage feelings of bonding and affection. They can additionally lower the levels of cortisol in your body that produces stress. Wow. Think about it, friends. Kissing reduces your blood pressure. The art of kissing dilates blood vessels so your blood flow increases throughout the body and causes a decrease in blood pressure. So maybe, husband, wife, you say, I have a headache. Not tonight, dear. You may be missing one of the safest and most pleasant remedies ever. That same dilation of blood vessels can lower the blood pressure that can soothe your headaches. And kissing may lower low total cholesterol. A study in 2009 found that couples who increased their incidence of romantic kissing showed Im improvement in total ser serum uh, cholesterol, and this can help lower your risk of heart attacks and stroke. Of course, 
sensuous smooching leads to increased sexual arousal and often the woman's motivation for wanting to have sex. And the longer you kiss men, the more testosterone is released. But last but not least, kissing burns between 2 and 26 calories per minute. Wow. Depending on how passionate you are and the energy you expend during the act, so kiss and kiss often. It does a world of good. Now, it's reminding me of two kissing experiences in the Bible. One of them was encouraged by God. The other was an act of betrayal. You remember the 12th disciple, Judas. He told the religious leaders, the the high priest and so on, that uh, he would betray Jesus with a kiss. And that he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Betrayed with a kiss. Interestingly, the Bible also teaches that in these end times, the reprobation of mind is going to become so great. The hatred toward God and those who love Christ and are obeying his word, will, and ways is going to be so great that many are going to rise up against even children against their parents, parents against the children, husbands against wives, and so on. That's anti-kissing. But in Psalm 2, Psalm 2, the scripture says, kiss the son, that is the son of God. In other words, get your relationship right with him before he brings judgment on the earth. You might want to look at Psalm Psalm 2, it's an amazing psalm. Get a copy of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, $22 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Remember, you're blessed to be a blessing. That is, if you're a son of Abraham. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next week.